Greetings, Foul Tarnished. You are listening to Elden Kings, an Elden Ring discussion. I am Gideon the Half-Knowing, and joining us at the Roundtable Hold tonight to talk about action games, JRPGs, and his own music is Mateus Silva from the band Teo and the Cosmic Neighborhood. How are you doing tonight, Teo? I'm doing very good. How are you doing, Gideon? I'm doing real well. It's just the same. It's a really nice uh, night out. <laughs> totally. It's a it's a snowy afternoon for me. So, <laughs> but uh, but uh, it's good. It's good. I'm staying nice and cozy. Yeah, I mean, snow is real pretty when you're nice and cozy on the inside and don't have to go walking through it. Exactly. Exactly. Which is definitely what I'm going to have been doing for, you know, the next couple of days. But that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I'm doing really good. I'm, I'm doing really good. Just uh, enjoying my weekend. Yeah, so one thing I like to do during my weekends to enjoy myself is play Dark Souls. <laughs> um... So I thought I'd ask about you. What do you what do you like to do during the weekends? Uh, uh, dude, I mean, I mean, you mentioned Dark Souls, and that's like Elden Ring has taken up. Like, how long has Elden Ring been out now? Like eight months, nine months. Like, I have been playing that game for eighty uh, percent of that those times. I mean, like when I'm when I'm not you know working or doing music or being with my girlfriend or something. It's. It's like when it comes to gaming, I was exclusively playing Elden Ring. I think I took a break to play Monster Hunter Rise when Sunbreak came out. Maybe. And then I definitely just took another break. I just took my second break to play Pokemon Arceus, um, <clears throat> which I'm having a great fucking time with. Um, but I, I love I love Elden Ring. I love making music. Uh, uh you know, drawing. I have a story that like kind of goes in with all the music and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, you know, it, my 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 time is very stream of consciousness. That's that's kind of how it works. You know, I want to spend as little time working as like on on like my day job and much time just going between these cycles of being. Basically, you live in the moments every day of your life. I try to. I try to. <laughs> very much so. No, I get that. I mean, that's the best way to do it, you know? Don't focus on your day job. Explore the realm of possibilities in every way you can and make sure that every moment is filled with something you like. Yeah, basically, basically. And, like, you know, that's definitely one school of thought. Like, I, I you know, I, it's, it, it's, you know, some people say that happiness has to be earned and stuff like that. And I don't know. I, I'm of the school of thought that people are just, I think, I, you know, you're, it, you should, you should try to be happy basically like you know what i mean like like there's a lot of shitty things going on and there's a lot you know it's just try to take your joy where you can find it that's a positive mindset it's optimistic you know find happiness where you can uh exactly you know i saw on reddit the other day that some psychologists tried to um define happiness and joy as a mental illness because it was generally in direct opposition to worldly facts so he called it uh like what's the that's word denial or something <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy i mean i don't i don't like you know my 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 gut reaction to that is not to disagree honestly because like it's it's uh it's almost like that sort of like when like like you're having the shittiest day at work and you know if you've ever been in a relationship your relationship's not going good you, or you just got dumped you're you're you know you're like you're not good with your parents 
just like the worst day ever and you just sort of start laughing at it like have you ever had one of those moments where it's just sort of like i feel like like as a collective like in the zeitgeist sort of all hit that point somewhere around 2016 <laughs> <laughs> you can't help but laugh at the horror yeah exactly exactly i mean speaking of horror like horror movies have been in like like I, I mean i've heard this thrown around but there's just like this crazy upswing in them like like that are they're not just like well made but they have a point and they're actually scary in like new and cool ways it's just it's a it's a really it's a golden age of horror right now i, I think i think partly because it's because of how messed up the world is i think there's a direct correlation honestly but sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no you're totally okay i was gonna say i think that someone told was t- trying to tell me about that the other day how just horror has been skyrocketing because it's not just american films that are doing it like in canada nope. there's an entire inuit production thing that focuses primarily on horror there's uh yeah, there's... exactly it's all over basically horror is coming like i just saw this there's this movie called blood sky that i just saw that was that was not from the u.s and then there was another movie i just saw called the swarm which like honestly it was it was it was a c movie but it had some really cool ideas but like i mean between like get out midsummer us um um barbarian which just came out if you haven't seen barbarian i'm not gonna say absolutely anything about it just get in the theater or in the rent it and watch it it's amazing <laughs> i'll have to try it out so good uh speaking of horror i saw that on your youtube channel teo talks you played bloodborne what was that like oh it's it's it was great um um some some behind the scenes info for you um um that most of that was recorded like mid pandemic like the pandemic just hit and um i i i i had after that lost my job at the airport and then i moved back to california and like all my drives were like all over the place so i just i couldn't start uploading those videos and so I recorded up to like episode 99 or something. And then I just had to stop recording for a while. And so it's like, there's like a weird time jump in the middle. Like you'll see like one day I have like short hair and then the next episode will just be like super long hair. It's really funny. <laughs> um, 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 uh, to date the hell out of that. But it was really fun. Like I love that game. And it had been a minute since I played. And between working and my music, I, I I was at the point in my life where I needed to cut some things to like make room to take my life seriously in a way. And it was like, I really don't want to cut video games because video games are a source of inspiration, like constantly, like since day one, if you want to go back to like musical influence, like my first video game was Mega Man X2. And, and the music from that game has definitely like shaped me in a way. And I mean, music from everything has shaped me in a way, but 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 uh, so I didn't want to cut video games, so I started Teo Talks as a way to keep my like favorite hobby going while also making it sort of justifiable. <laughs> no, exactly, uh... just a great word for it. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's literally my mindset when I record for my uh, YouTube channel, Gideon the Half Knowing. I'm like. I play Elden Ring so much, and I'm a 22-year-old adult with a job and things to do and a house. I need to justify this somehow. Exactly. <laughs> it was, it, it, that was the exact mindset where it's like, 
I want to keep this going and I need to find a way that makes it beneficial other than just like a fast food time sink. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's gratifying in the short term, but really nothing long term. So what 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 can I do to apply this to a long term scenario? And I streaming like people figured this out like forever ago. But like I, I think hopping on it on a more casual level is something that's honestly more viable than ever like more people are doing this kind of stuff than i've ever seen before and more people are finding a home so clearly this is what people want to see you know what i mean like yeah home computers are good enough to record everything at like a really powerful technical level so everyone that has a computer can just try out streaming and like it's a really nice form of entertainment, you know? It's not something that humans were really able to do before in their history. So, I mean, exactly, and it's, and, it's, and it's odd, because I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm of the, uh, I'm of the generation that's, like, right in the middle of, of like, where, like, my internet, for example, I, I, I have vague memories of dial-up, and even, like, like, like uh, 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 like a weird bulky ass laptop that my mom had that had like a round mouse in the middle and like so it's like I have these distinct memories of like playing outside all the time and, and hanging out with friends and that was really like valid for me and and I know that there's people all over the country and all over the world who 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 don't hang out with people on the reg and 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 you know, I never really thought about that before because, you know, I always had like a group of friends. And so just to find to have this immediate outreach to other people is honestly just sick as fuck because to find friends that are nowhere near you, it's it's bittersweet because, you know, you can't go see them. But at the same time, you're probably like, you know, what if you're not used to going to and seeing people? It's a good, happy, intermediate thing. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And that's I guess I've never really considered it from that angle, too. But yeah, I mean, like. It gives you an outlet to talk to people from anywhere and that in itself is so valuable because it lets people that don't get along with local circles as well find other people like themselves and then they have their own circle of like you know it's like misfits it's the misfit table at lunch basically (laughs) exactly i mean i mean that that exact thing happened with me and monster hunter world I, i i made these friends in in a group we call dragon's bane and uh, it's just full of artists and like people that I'm like super like-minded with. Like, like I, I have friends that I'll be friends with forever that I know in real life. But like, like I'm also super close with these dudes, and it's just by like, I don't know, shared mentality and 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 I don't know, I don't know. It's just it really worked out. It was really cool. You know, what I mean, we're all of like a similar background-ish type, and we just sort of clicked you know what i mean and like we don't even talk all the time but like whenever the new monster hunter game comes out or some new pokemon shit happens we're we're just chatting it up and it's like it feels like i have friends for life just in this little corner of the internet yeah video games can really bring people together in that weird way you know you've got these people that are like nothing alike irl and they don't even care about that they disregard all of that they just you know it's like this act of only talking about the game and getting that into it and it builds a really nice bond i feel like I made friends playing, like, Dark Souls 2, and then again playing the Ghosts of Tsushima multiplayer that I just never expected to meet or value the way I did. 
but that's so cool actually because i i filled around with that for a little bit and i was like i see the potential here i just don't have anyone to really play it with so it's cool that it 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 worked out for someone yeah for real i i was so nervous playing ghosts of tsushima because it was basically i was like this is so cool i have to play more of it but i don't know anyone in my life that does so i just queued into survival matches until i found people (laughs) that responded No, that's great. I, I, I love I love that uh like I I always wanted to be the dude that could summon. Like I was like, that's sick, you could summon spirits and I was like, that's just that's just a good bit of fun. Oh hell yeah. I was um that's my favorite class actually, the healer class, because with it you can basically carry the entire team no matter what their skill level is. So whenever I queue with randoms and they suck, I'm just like, Well, it's all me, buddies. We can do it together. <laughs> Dude, that's like that's like my mentality like you know to bring up monster hunter again it's like that game uh uh i i think the reason that game works so well for teamwork it like it must be like goes to shishima is that there's only four people allowed in an online match and they designed it that way because they want everybody's actions to matter and or uh <laughs> you know, impact the game. So if someone's just sitting there fucking around in a puddle, being like, "Ooh, like what's over here?" Like it'll like people will notice. You know what I mean? It won't it won't go under the radar. And when they help out, it's also noticed. And and I feel like the tenets of team working are built into that game. And I feel like Ghost of Tsushima definitely took a few pointers. Um, um, because it's just so fun. It's so fun to work with people on those types of things where it's just like. When someone saves you right in the nick of time, it's just like, yes. It's so fun. It makes you feel like a real life, like fantasy hero going through it with a party or something. Yeah, a team and a squad and everything. Exactly. I um, exactly. I really liked Vermintide for that reason. Just going through a cooperative level with other people. It's fantastic. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Getting back to Souls, uh, the cooperation in Souls is really unique. Uh, have you played any of the games before Elden Ring, where generally you'd cooperate through the entire level instead of just the boss? Oh yeah. Oh um um. I've I've been playing FromSoft games since 2015. Oh hell um, yeah, Dark Souls too. I started with it as well. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, I didn't I didn't start with Dark Souls too. I uh, I started with Bloodborne. Oh um, yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I played Dark Souls 1 when it had come out, like shortly after it had come out, and um, I bounced off of it super hard because my friend was super into it, and he let me borrow it, and I was, I got, I got, like, past the undead bird, past the gargoyles, and some dude invaded me and gave me every item in the game. Oh, like, wow. Everything. And I was like, what is this? What what is this? And I was just looking through all my stuff, and I it for some reason it super disincentivized me. I was like, okay, <laughs> I like I like like because you know Mega Man X two being my first game, I really a- appreciate uh, a reward system, and so it felt like I I just I got the best character right at the beginning of the game, and and dropped it, which is a shame. I just dropped it. I just dropped the fucking game. Um, um, that's so and interesting. I, like a twink tried to be nice but ruined your playthrough and made you not get back into it for four years. <laughs> exactly, 
it, like quite literally that. And um, and then I got into Bloodborne, which also had the benefit of being stylistically and thematically my fucking jam. I love that game. I love werewolves. I love Lovecraft. I love how moody and depressing it is. I love how much blood gets sprayed everywhere. Like, it's such a good game. Like, there's so like, I could I could talk for hours about Bloodborne, so I'll, I'll cut myself off. But <laughs> but um, um, what's your favorite it, boss in Bloodborne or just in FromSoft? Uh, let's start with Bloodborne. Okay, so in Bloodborne, there's 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 two schools of this. There's like there's like the design of how it looks, and then there's like the fight. Um, and and design wise, I love like I love the cleric beast. I love Ibriatus. I love. I absolutely adore the moon presence. This is gonna sound like like some fanfic shit, but I I I had a dream about something that was so similar to the moon presence, like trapped in a sinking boat kind of thing, and it was so surreal to see it show up in a game. I was like shook when I saw it. I was like, what the fuck? Like, it was like plucked out of my head. It, it, was, it, was, it was so bizarre. Maybe um, you had a real life experience with an old one. That, you know, maybe, honestly. You know, I, I get the goosebumps about it. So, so <laughs> uh, all those from in terms of like how they look and then from a fight, you know, uh, Father Gascoigne. Um, oh, Father Gascoigne's amazing. Incredible. I love, I love fighting the orphan and I love fighting Maria, but you know, those are like the, those are like the go-to bosses. I, yeah. I, I prefer Maria in terms of a fight just because it, <laughs> I, I have this thing in my life that I've applied to everything. I call it, I call it a DBZ filter because Dragon Ball Z was like my first thing. It was like my first favorite thing. And so Whenever I come across a new concept, whether it's like, you know, like Digimon Evolution or the old ones from Lovecraft or, or anything like that, I run it through this like DVZ filter and like, well, what would it like, you know, how would these two things sort of mesh? And when they mesh real well, it's like, it's, it, it becomes this like, you know, like cacophony of imagination. And so, so like the fight with the, with the, um, with the with the orphan of cost is just like it's just like you're all over the place you're dashing and dodging you're hitting each other back to back it's it's so visceral well you know it's a, it's a it's a loaded word with that game but but they really nailed what they were going for yeah it's intensely dynamic it goes back and forth in the player's favor and then the orphans and that like every moment you feel like you're fighting for your life in this intense battle fucking exactly exactly that it's 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 you know exactly and that's, that's like you know to tie it into to to tie it back to like dbz that's exactly what i felt like when i was watching like the namus namic saga it's just like these dynamics these these the push and pull of the story versus the push and pull of the action of bloodborne it's it's just it's good it gets my blood pumping and that's really what i want from a game like that you know yeah i mean i think that's part of why sekiro is my favorite game out of like the from software catalog because it has that feeling of fighting back and forth, all of that intense dynamicism, but it's just the gameplay distilled. Like, you get that moment in almost every battle, depending on uh, the Dude, intensity. It's a, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. Sekiro, 
I mean, Bloodborne is still my favorite because, as I said, like you know, the, it's got the horror elements. It's got the intense combat um, um, and the look. I love Yarnum and stuff like that. Sekiro, I feel like is FromSoft's only masterpiece to date. I, I, I don't get me wrong. Ooh, even Elden Ring. Elden Ring? Okay. He's <laughs> in a in a way, I, I it's too big. And so many people are getting different things from it, which is like, it's the idea. That's the idea behind the game. So I I can understand the argument for it being a masterpiece. I just feel like Sekiro has a statement. And there's a, there's a YouTube video. uh, uh, I got his name's Noah. Oh shit. I forget his. Yes. Noah Gervais. I think I've seen his stuff before. You put out like a two, like two five hour long videos uh, the first three on the first Dark Souls, on the three Dark Souls games, and the second one on uh, on Bloodborne, Sekiro, and Elden Ring. <laughs> and how he puts it with Sekiro is 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 it's so eloquent, but it's exactly how I phrase it. He just did it better. Um, um, is is Sekiro is like a master symphony, wrote not in words but in strokes of a sword or some shit like that. And I was like, oh, someone fucking nailed. <laughs> He is so eloquent. Yeah, no, that guy is such a king. He makes, like, long-form content that comprehensively covers everything, and he's not biased or pessimistic most of the time. It's great. Yeah, dude, exactly. Like, another person who I love on the topic of Souls, uh, his name's Gary Butterfield, and and Cole Ross, they, uh, they run Bonfireside Chat. Uh, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a podcast. It's a Dark Souls podcast. It's, 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 it's it's great. He okay. he puts it like, um, oh shit! I just totally lost my train of thought. But they're great. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're um um um. Yeah, Sekiro for me is just is is just a jam. Is just a jam. Uh, oh oh, Gary Butterfield said about Noah is what he said. He's like he says like so many YouTubes have long form videos, um, but Noah will say so much in two minutes more than some youtubers will say in like another like you know two hour long video it's yeah like he, he gets so much across in just these punchy sentences it's incredible yeah his his videos are long because he comprehensively gets into the entire game like other long form content like is sometimes like analytic but sometimes it just like turns over the same points over and over which is over. cool you know it's a thing but like it's so padded <laughs> it feels too long to me it's exactly it's like i I even heard in one video someone's like someone's like like i i don't remember the exact statement but it was just like someone you in in order to in order to turn into a werewolf you must imbibe the blood and bloodborne and therefore someone turns into a werewolf by imbibing the blood it's like you (laughs) the potion for kuzco the poison specifically for kuzco you mean kuzco's poison (laughs) (laughs) exactly um yeah yeah um but on sekiro yeah sekiro is uh, a a masterpiece it's a a masterpiece in terms of that blood pumping feeling when i defeated ishin like i respect ishin as like a full-on individual like human being at this point I love the way he dies too. Like he's a badass even when he dies. He just goes down to the kneeling position and he's like, finish it. Exactly. Exactly. Like he's you know, I mean, like some people think the whole 
Warriors code thing is overrated, but I, I, I'm so into it sometimes. And I'm into it when it's done well. And with Ishin, yeah. it's done so well. Like, the dude was just himself through and through, you know, like, good and bad. He, like, remained true to himself. And that was kind of, like, the point. Exactly. Like, it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, part uh, of it. Part of the point, you know. Yeah, it's, it's the things that I took out of it, for sure. I mean, like, Ishin was true to himself as a warrior. That's such a good way to put it, because one of the things that From Software really likes to, like, do with their warrior characters is, like, the code of honor yeah. is what matters. Not the philosophy or ideology that it supports, but the fact that you have a code and that you stay true to yourself. And, like, Gideon Offnir even has that line that he ends most of his dialogue with, where he asks the player in Elden Ring to, like, Stay true to themselves. Stay constant. Like, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, totally. Gideon can can eat shit though. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Elbenoric massacre. <laughs> yeah, dude, he's a monster. I mean, honestly, I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I'm not gonna get too dark on this podcast, but I don't think Godfrey. Like, there's been this recent trend of Godfrey being viewed as like a a a. a a good dude because he like cares about Morgoth in that cutscene. But uh if you listen to Nefeli Lu in that scene where she's outside of the Arbanog village, she says, I've seen this before. Like, like this isn't anything new. This is something that's caused by men. Is specifically a line that she says. And oh. it, and it the, uh, the con- go- <laughs> sorry, you go on. Oh sorry, no, I was, uh, what were you gonna say? Well, okay, um, I actually, so I have so much allure analysis put into that dialogue line, if I'm gonna be honest. Um, like, the dialogue line itself is that she's seen it before, a waking world of horror made by men, or something like that. And, um, it's actually, at least in my opinion, it's possibly in reference to something that happened in Laindol, essentially, um... The lore behind the Omen Killers is that they're perfumers that at some point took it upon themselves to cleanse the Golden Order of Defilement. Uh, the right. Omen, who they saw as like a sign of defilement to the Erd Tree. And yes. you get the lore of how that first happened with like the, a specific Omen Killer named Rolo. And right. that probably connects to Laindol, because first of all, that was the headquarters of the perfumers, where their alchemist yeah. guild was located. And in Landle, yeah. there's two distinct sections of the city. There's this part where you enter from, where it's golden rooftops and nice buildings. But then there's the other side of the city, the southern part, which is burnt out. And all of the rooftops are gray or black. It's a poor ghetto-type place. Yeah, there was, a, there, was, there was a fight there, for sure. Yeah, but the thing with that is that the walls of Landle have never been breached, ever. So whatever fight happened there happened within its own walls and not from an outsider because the last time it was breached was when grand six attacked the city but like yeah. they would have rebuilt you know in like the five thousand ten thousand years since then i i i i i guess i attributed that to the dragons but that does seem to make sense like they would have built around grand sax as opposed to just i don't know maybe i mean <laughs> another thing would be like there's peace with the dragons, but you have to leave Grand Sax's body alone, or we'll throw more lightning at you. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been that they couldn't remove the body, since it's an ancient dragon made of gravel stone. It was just there permanently after dying, was my assumption. <laughs> yeah, um, 
No, but that 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 dialogue that Nefeli says is very loaded with a lot of meaning. And to me, like that, what you, what you had is a really good read on it. Mine doesn't. Mine can coexist with yours, one hundred percent. I always read that as her being born into that environment, like her being born into an environment of conquest. If you know, like some, like because her name is Nefeli Lou, like a lot of people took that to mean relative. She's the daughter of Godfrey Horror. Exactly, and to me, that doesn't like I don't know. He doesn't seem like a good dude, and like I'm no, not. No, like, he's you know, a killer. <laughs> he exactly. he was made Elden Lord because he was the best person at killing. <laughs> exactly, and then if you go back to Dark Souls three, like the whole becoming a lord thing, like the whole thing with uh, uh, Aldrich, that he he became a lord not for virtue but for might. So, and in Elden Ring, strength is a virtue. Like the only virtue of lords, you know, it's what makes a lord. Yes, exactly. And, and and even even Margaret's like 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 uh, when you first fight him, he's like, ah, you are the passing strength. There's some bullshit like that, and it's like he his his respect of you, and he's like, warrior blood truly runs through thy veins. So it's like it's a merit to be strong in this world. Like uh, again, to to Margaret, uh, I, I think it really ties into the golden lineage this whole strength thing because they value because power they value power exactly like uh, uh radon's that way godfrey's that way god of Freud's that way <laughs> <laughs> um um to go back to the, the nephilim Lou line though um <laughs> sorry not to just dwell on it but essentially oh, the finishing point. part of it is that the waking horror that I think she might reference is that if you assume Landel to have, at the beginning of its time, harbored within itself, like, the regular citizens that were, like, had the blessing of grace, the Elbenorics who were seen and looked down upon, you know, like, if you look at uh, Rykard's Volcano Manor, there's a lot of Elbenorics there that are imprisoned, and you know why, because it's they turn into that, like, scarlet blood-clotted one that's all fucked up and will try and eat you. Right, um, right. And anyway, that Scarlet Blood Clot is related a little bit to the Omen, and you find both of those in that burnt-out district of Landol, along with an Omen killer. So it's possible that what Nephili Lu mentions is that there was a pogrom in Landol, where Landol citizens went to their own district, burnt it down because it harbored Omen and Elven Oryx. And that may be what she's referencing, because she would have been alive as a tarnished that left with Godfrey and then died and then was revived. So Okay, okay. Well, I can see how that all lines up. I can totally mm-hmm. see how that lines up. And that, that that would harken back to like a Dark Souls one like Dark Souls One nailed this, like item storytelling by item placement. Um um I you know, later games really stopped caring about this. Like Bloodborne not so much. It's there a little bit. Dark Souls three, really not so much. And then Sekiro, it's like not. It's a it's a non factor. Um, I don't know. I mean, storytelling through Sekiro is a bit there an item placement. But you're right. It's more narrative focused. There is a bit of yeah. gameplay intention. Like they might put confetti paper before an enemy you're supposed to use confetti paper on. Or, but go on. Yeah, with the it, point. That's a huge thing in Elden Ring. But Elden Ring has so much item placement. That I don't know the 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 reward economy in Elden Ring is top tier. It's actually incredible. Um, it is. Um, you just you're constantly getting cool shit or getting cool shit that you'd like want to use on a different playthrough. You know what I mean? Like it's like all valuable. Until yeah, like, new gameplay. 
even if it doesn't have a gameplay value, you're always learning new lore if you're into the item descriptions. There's almost always something to be found from, like, completing something. And, like, all of the levels are so fun on their own. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, almost every FromSoft level is fun. I'd say, I'd say there are far less misses starting with Sekiro and Elden Ring. I don't think they fuck up on level design in those two games very much. Like, at all. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, go everywhere. It's just like, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, they. it's not like the older games where there's, like, one or two places where you're like, oh, I've got to do that again. Like, Sekiro and Elden Ring truly are just fun all the way through, which is really impressive. Exactly. Like, dude, the Dark Souls 3 Demon Ruins can fuck off. <laughs> I forget <laughs> they exist. <laughs> <laughs> Those are terrible. They're, it's just, it's like a copy-paste, like, like, I don't even know what to hearken it back to. Like, like one of those, like, old-school FPSs that are, like, all <laughs> flat. Yeah, you're, like, playing Wolfenstein or something. It's just endless oh. corridors that look exactly the same. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like, here's... Here's a bit of the Chalice Dungeons, but even worse. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. That one black knight on the bridge going over the lava pit can fuck right off. <laughs> He's killed me more times than I like. <laughs> Dude. Um, oh, speaking of the black knights, my weapon of choice in Dark Souls 1 and 3 have yet to play 2. I really want to play 2. I'm just going to play Demon Souls first. I, those are the two that I haven't yet that I've yet to play, and okay. I'll get to them. I just who's got time? Um, um, but my weapon of choice in one and three was always the Black Knight Greatsword, and so uh, the charged move when you use that in in Dark Souls three just sends everybody up into the air, and so it everybody that's like of Black Knight like weight in Dark Souls. Everybody that or lower just gets destroyed by the Black Knight Greatsword. <laughs> it's so great. It just stun locks them. That's amazing. Shoots them into the air, and then they are just on the ground doing the get-up motion, at which point you can do anything. Yeah. It's like this awesome. Y-hander in Dark Souls 1 is so amazing, because nothing can get out of its stun lock if you position yourself right. Totally. It's just a. It's just a brutal... Brutal weapon. So rad. <laughs> Zweihanda. <laughs> the Zweihanda. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Elden, Elden Ring and Sekiro, both top two games, like, easily. Both of my yeah. top ten games, I might have to say, honestly. I think Sekiro probably is just straight up my favorite game. And Elden Ring is such a close second, I feel like. I mean, like, they're definitely in my top ten no matter what. Because like you said, I mean, Sekiro's a masterpiece from beginning to end, narrative, gameplay-wise. Everything is polished and honed into a T, and it works so well. And then yes. Elden Ring is just this sort of, like... I hesitate to say it because it's sort of like silly, but like it literally is sort of a magnum opus because it just repeats all of the thematic ideas that were established in the Dark Souls trilogy, but makes them coherent and puts a setting to it that like 
makes sense the entire way through and lets them examine the themes to their fullest detail, it's incredible. I don't even know how they made such a game of that scope. It's a juggernaut, honestly. I mean, that plus it's like mastery of metaphor, like between the like different hues of gold that are like woven into the story and like the primordial, like the red gold of the, the crucible and the gold and how that ties into like magnetism and how well they conduct that also ties into the silver tears. Like, you know, Quaylog, Quaylog's videos that go into all this, like, it's all there. It's not like she's pulling this. It's not like people on the internet are pulling this lore stuff out of nowhere. Like all of this is in the game. It's presented to us. And that is astounding. It's, it's, it's mind blowing. Like as a creative, as someone who's working on a story right now, and like, because of Elden Ring, I'm thinking about symbols and stuff. I don't, I don't even want to touch what Elden Ring has like come close to because it's like, I'm good with a couple of symbols and a couple of metaphors in my story, and the rest can be, like, you know, people's own interpretations. But what Elden Ring is, like, weaving together and, like, balancing on it's, like, it's, like, it's, like, that, like, cartoon image of, like, a dude, it's a circus image of, of that dude spinning a bunch of plates on a bunch of sticks, like, he's holding, like, one on each finger, one on his knee, one on his tongue, and it's, like, he's balancing all these spinning plates. It's, like, that's what Elden Ring feels like to me. Like, in terms of like how it's like metaphor, it's just this crazy structure of of interconnectivity and lore and meaning and and so many people have read so many different things and that's all by intention. Yeah, it's almost transcendental in its storytelling because it manages to tell multiple stories under the same broader overarching theme. But all of those stories are told through the player having their own story that is dynamically created by them playing the game, which is just yeah. its whole ass thing on its own. And within that story that happens, you could use a whole ass reading guide to try and understand it because their use of names is so broadly there. Like a name symbolically alludes to a character, but they can go by multiple names, and most characters have an intentionally dualistic aspect to explore and get into. And then, like yes. you said, with Quayleg, uh, exploring yeah. the color symbolism of the game, that's just so in-depth. Like, all of the colors on the color wheel are represented with ideas like green for stamina, red for vitality, blue for magic, spiritualism, purple yeah. for sleep. All of them have opposites that somewhat play into each other, and all of them build into broader overarching themes that thematically tie in with each other. Like gold is immortality and inner order, and then blue, and then silver is like sorcery and spiritualism and outer order. It it blows I, my mind, actually. I think there's like secret colors, like the Glomide Queen, you know what I mean? There's like secret meanings in between these colors <laughs> yeah <laughs> like purple is sleep but then it's also death and violet oh, is close to purple and that's where it comes in with the death aspects but then it's also a mix of red and blue so yeah. the mixture of red and blue which is vitality and spiritualism creates fucking purple which is represented by radican's children and he's red marrying blue and on top of that red is representative of gold which is representative of inner order and blue is representative of silver and outer order 
And the entire thematic throughline of the game is that Inner and Outer Order don't get along? So all of that just works. Like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> it's, 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 it's insane. And so, you know, I, <laughs> like, it's, 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 uh, uh, it's amazing. And so, you know, to, to, it's, it's funny how this conversation is, uh, kind of a weird companion piece to the discourse that's going on on Twitter right now about, you know, the cut content and how Elden Ring was sort of like, you know, things were changed and stuff like that. And, 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 and it's, it's upsetting some people, you know, which I get, but it's also just like, do you see how much of this is working? Like, despite all that, it's crazy. Like, like we've been nothing, we've been doing nothing but unabashedly praising the shit out of this game. And, and it's like all valid in my opinion. You know what it, I mean? Yeah. Like, and, <laughs> it deserves yeah. all the praise. Exactly. Exactly. It's so it's like it's it's uh you know, I mean so so to sit here and say that it's not a masterpiece that like I did earlier is is uh, you know a loaded statement as well. I I I've almost convinced myself that it is a masterpiece at this point. So like it's it's just doing things differently. Like I think what keeps me like what keeps Bloodborne ahead of Sekiro for me is the same reason that I that keeps Bloodborne ahead of Elden Ring for me where it's like Bloodborne is still kind of like the closest thing we have to sci-fi souls you know what I mean there's like experiments and their lab equipment and <laughs> all that sort of stuff and aesthetically Elden Ring brings a lot to the table um I I Outside of like Melania and Malekith, though, I don't think there's any designs that I really love that I'm like really attached to. Um, and so, you know, two two of the main bosses that I'm like super stoked about. That's 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 great. Um, um, but like the rule of cool in Elden Ring is a little lacking for me. I think it has more meaning and and lore significance than it does like. Yeah, no, okay, I, so I, I actually agree with this. Like, Elden Ring is so carefully set up as an immersive world with its own history that it makes the narrative very... F it does, not forced, but it forces it to play along with the idea of being immersive. So they sacrifice some of those possible moments where they could just do something badass and insane or, like, pacing-wise that would just blow you off your feet. Maybe, like, how Bloodborne... Or Sekiro or whatever does it? Yeah, I don't know. Totally that... I yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, I mean, yeah. It's it's a uh... yeah. It's it's hard to put my finger on. You know, it's a thought that I've 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 had since 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 the game came out, but I haven't been able to like. Uh, this is my first time articulating it. You know what I mean? So I got, mm -hmm. I, I, I cl it clearly needs a bit more time in the oven. This thought, but uh, um that doesn't that's that's totally subjective you know somebody else can look at like the 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 what the fuck is that thing the century what the tree sentinel and be tree like this sentinel, is the coolest, yeah. coolest looking thing ever this is the most badass thing i've ever seen and so i don't want to take that away from everybody you know anybody it's like uh uh like as for, like as, for, from aesthetic purposes i much prefer the gargoyles to dark souls one than i do the gargoyles to to elden ring like i just they speak to me more like personally and that's not even because like i'm a huge dark souls one fan i actually think i like Elden ring more than dark souls one but uh uh um 
That's sort of interesting because I was at first going to say that maybe it was like stylistic, you how the you were like fatigued with the fantasy stuff, but then you bring up the gargoyles, so it's not just fantasy. It's like maybe it's the art style that Elden Ring uses, like its general. I'm, I mean, I mean, if you want to go into, I, 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 I have. There's a whole other loaded conversation that's like same <laughs> right on my tongue, uh, and that's representation in fantasy and stuff like that. And Elden Ring actually does go above and beyond. It's got, it's got, you know, it's got Greek stuff. It's got biblical stuff. It's got, it's got, it's got stuff from. It's got, you know, it's got, it's got like a, a, a Norse mythology and British Mesopotamia. It's got all that stuff. But there's so many parts of the world that have never been explored in fantasy. And I go back to like Disney's Moana. And I was so excited when that movie came out because it was just cool to see Indonesian myth in a movie. You know, Polynesian myth in a movie. Sorry. Uh, um, um, it was cool to see that aesthetic. It was cool to see that mythology translated into a more modern fantasy. And... I'm I I'm feeling equally stoked and a bit more personally stoked because I'm Brazilian. But when when uh, when Black Panther two came out, I'm I'm hyped as shit because they fucking made they made uh, Namor South American basically Mesoamerican, and it's such a cool aesthetic change. And I I love that they're bringing more of more culture into the world. And it's not because that there's been a lack of culture, which there has been, it's because that there's more markets that are coming around the world. Right. Like, like that's, that's the main reason it's happening. But at the same time, I hope the success of these things lets us see myths and art and lore from all these other countries. I'd love to see like an Aztec inspired Elden ring. You know what I mean? That'd be awesome. Yeah. I was going to say Egyptian. But Aztec, or, yeah, or, or 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 like you know, there's so many different, there's so many, there's so many different cultures like across all of Africa. There's so many like there's Brazilian myths that have never worked their way into things. Like you Google Quetzalcoatl, and one of the only things you get is a blonde anime chick from some from some battle anime. You don't even get the Aztec Aztec snake god thing. So yeah, the like, rainbow feathered serpent. Like that's such a badass concept why has it not been put into more things exactly like rayquaza from pokemon is one of the only things i can think of that is a direct I never... reference. that's so smart holy how did i never know that that's like my favorite pokemon game totally uh, dude hoenn when it's legendaries are so good um i love that trio so awesome um um but yeah i just i really want to see more more not just like you know representation in terms of like actors and stuff but i want to see more representation in terms of like culture and ideas and theming and stuff like that and so like i guess part of i am a little stale on fantasy like the whole concept of like elves and trolls and orcs and it's overplayed people up into races like that is something i'm not into um um it just becomes a real loaded conversation see see the movie bright <laughs> i haven't seen it but i haven't um, seen it either but it just it's just it it, it just led to a but the whole premise of the movie is that the orcs are like black people and it's like it's oh. just, just exactly right the sec the second you start basing your premise on something like that it's like hold on like um, yeah pause <laughs> pause reevaluate and so 
tying that into Elden Ring, like the whole storyline with the it's it's the, it's the Omen and the Frenzied Flame are really tied together in this. To me, like you have all these oppressed races, like you have the demi-humans, you have the misbegotten, you have the omen themselves, you have the outcast gladiator soldiers that have become pumpkin heads, and then you have the merchants, and like those are like on two separate things, but but the merchants embody the storyline of like an oppressed people, the misery, <laughs> an abject despair. It's a yeah label. Like a labeled people, it's like you you label us this way. We're gonna act this way, and that's a sentiment that I mean I, I don't want to speak for other, but that I've as a person of color, I've certainly felt this way. Like you know what I mean? It's just like like it's 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 a very upsetting thing, and so it's like not that I want to see the world burn, but it's like that sentiment of 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 giving into the flame and unifying everything that way, like it really works, especially with that content dialogue. Like that's, that's really the, the, the time theme for me. So the fact that it's taken out, it, it muddies the waters because when I first played Elden Ring, I read the golden order as America, the United States of America. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. It's an imperialistic force that has laid its laws against the entire land and like actively oppresses multiple groups of people while maintaining a wealthy elite. Like, come on. (laughs) It's there. You know what I mean? The subtext is there. And I think, I think as, as Quaylar has dived in, it, it does definitely go deeper than just America. It's more about power systems and structures as a whole. But it's still there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's about power structures. It's about everything. But I feel like one of the reasons that the intention of the yellow flame of chaos, it used to be red and the red used to stand for vengeance in like an old version of the game back like in 2019 and 2020 based off of what I've read in cut content. So the fact that they changed it to thematically be more in line with a modern sense of the game where it's about misery and helplessness and the desire to see the world burn. Like, I feel like that's a really potent take and they did it to be more relatable. Like the red, the red theme of vengeance was based off of Norse mythology where most of the tales are cautionary against feuding, you know? It's a little, it's a little, it's a little hard on, and on the nose for sure. A little, a little one-sided, one-dimensional for sure. Yeah. I, I, I see. I see. That's a good change. Yeah, I, I, it would have been interesting on its own right, because I think the intention, I mean, I guess I'll just get into it if you, if you want to hear about it. It's about the cut quest line with Gilbert and about like uh-huh. overall the vibe of the frenzied flame as it relates to the, the giant's flame. Right. Um, yeah, essentially, uh, Gilbert in his quest line, he serves the Lord of Vengeance, and he, over the quest line, will go more and more insane as he carries out the Lord of Vengeance's uh, deeds. Essentially, he has some form of contact with it where he uses corpses and ritual to find what the grudge is and then kill the person they had a grudge against. So it's just ending cycles of violence by killing everyone. And... <laughs> okay. that's, that's, that's in line with the, with the frenzy flow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So essentially, the biggest grudge that he ends up with and he has dialogue over is something that Radan has, 
And also mm-hmm. after you kill Godric, he does the sac- he does the ritual on Godric's corpse and Godric shares that grudge. And it's against Millennia because Millennia beat the shit out of Godric. You know, there was the new uh, there was the new manga chapter for the official Elden Ring manga. You should read it if you haven't. It's like comedy gold. I, I saw clips of it and it's really cool. Like Kenneth talks about that. Kenneth Kenneth He uh, does. I, yeah. Does. <laughs> also uh uh uh, one of those graves, one of those sword graves that talks about it, and uh, that's one of the few things that people can use to build a timeline around. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's one of Kenneth hates dialogue. Establishes like half of the shattering for it in terms of timeline. It tells us a- that Radon, after failing in the second defense of Landol when he failed to attack it. He left yeah. and chased Godric back to Stormvale Castle, where Godric hid inside and then fled, and then got Rudan left eventually. He tells right. us that Millennia defeated Godric. He tells us so much. He tells us so much, and it's such a it's such a neat little paper trail. And oh, dude, like I would love to see like the sentences. Like if if George R. R. Martin wrote the Elden Ring stuff and like story excerpts at all like you wrote Fire and Blood this kind of like third party like hearing things that people would say like I would love to hear just like little tiny bits of dialogue I would just want sentences of what these characters would like say to each other because I feel like there's so much there in terms of these of characterization like they are larger than life they're epic and they're tragic all like you know it's it's so good melania in particular is is my favorite character in the game for sure she's fascinating like in intentions wise like yeah like yeah like did she fight radon because she thought that he took mikola or I, you know, or, or was it just because he was gaining power and she just wanted to keep people from winning? Like, you know, we 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 know so little of that. And uh, the Lore Hunter actually put out a couple of really good videos on Millennia and Radon and why they could have fought. Oh, I'll have to watch them. I've uh, I've only really determined my own theories, but I've always thought of Millennia as like a noble character. She wanted to serve the Golden Order. She wanted to be yeah. true to like her warrior's code, and that's all she wa- really cared about. She couldn't be goddess because of her scarlet rot, and she couldn't even be a lord because, as we know from the Clean Rat Knights, all who follow I... her will be rotted as well. I think that okay. Two things on this. I think I think that she could have been a goddess and actually dejected it, um, or or if not a goddess of the Golden Order, then a goddess of the Scarlet Rot, and. And then B, the clean rots are called noble rots in 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 Japanese. And what noble rotting is, it's a type of wine where you intentionally soak the grapes and let them rot a little bit so that the wine gets a specific flavor. And and so I, I think the clean the, the clean rot slash noble not noble rot knights are intentionally giving themselves rot to, to like to, to to be in this special like you know i think like i think they're like trying to be like an elite service to melania or part of melania in a weird way that's interesting because yeah. yeah i've always taken it as like the opposite that them f- choosing to be followers of melania 
gave them Scarlet Rat, but they willingly underwent it because they believed in her cause. But like to think that it's powering them up and they go through it of their own volition, that's like the opposite take, but it's just as interesting. And Elden yeah, Ring just fucking does that to people. It's so funny. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> there's there's so many takes everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Like my my I, I when I play these games, I always play my first run and completely a half. blind <laughs> and i make my own opinions on the story and the characters and melania was one of the characters i was actually like unsure about i was looking like she's a noble honorable person or she's a monster and i cannot tell which <laughs> and, and and that was rooted in the hiding of her eyes with her helmet and and just the pure matter of fact of what happened to Kaylid. So those are the only two things I was really going off of. And then when I le- when I learned more about the statues and her Scarlet Rot and her connection to Mikola and how she was actually vying for him, it made me realize that she's actually just a really great person. She's just she's been dealt a really shitty hand. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. I think of her as like a tragic yet noble character. You know, she uh, she fought against the Scarlet Rat her entire life and wanted only to protect her brother, become the Blade of Nicola, and did pretty much everything he wanted of her. You know, like maybe yeah. they had like a sort of guts to Griffith relationship where she just well, she did fully... the kid. Go on. <laughs> she fully believed in him. She she she. She like says that out of all the Imperians, he is like the the most likely and the most worthy of becoming the next new god or whatever the fuck. Yeah, she calls him the fiercest or something. Um, yeah, word. Yeah, exactly, the fiercest Imperian. And I mean, it makes sense. Like Mikola as a character, while he's like an eternal child, he's described as like a boy prodigy and the total genius to the point where he's trying like he was he was a fundamentalist he probably made that poly crossbow that's like super complex um, right right I, I just I, I found that for like the third time the other day. <laughs> i just posted my uh latest let's play of elden ring online where i went to castle soul and i just had like this five minute diatribe about how um Mikola was probably a conspirator in the night of the black knives and his idea was that he wanted to rebalance the golden order by sacrificing Godwin the Golden to become the Prince of Undeath and create the Mending Rune of Undeath. Which, like, if he came up with the plan for that, you'd have to be super freaking smart to do it. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, I don't disagree with that at all. <laughs> that sounds pretty valid. <laughs> this is very uh, diplomatic, Matthias. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now that we're like 58 minutes in, I was thinking, oh, yeah. uh, we could move to either Monster Hunter or your music, depending on what you wanted to talk to about. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, in terms of Monster Hunter, um, I got a, uh, I got a thumb injury a little bit ago. It's called like, it's called like Gamer's Thumb or Mommy's Thumb. And, um, um, I haven't been playing as much fighting games or as much Monster Hunter for the past few months, just because uh, I'm, I'm just, it's, I'm just a little hesitant to, because monsters, they require a lot of inputs. You know, when you're playing like Tekken or Dragon Ball Fighters or, or, or Monster Hunter, your thumb is just like. <laughs> you're doing a lot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, 
So I have to get back into those games and, and, and work my thumb out a little bit to get, but Elden Ring, you use the triggers, right? So it's not, it's not too uh, taxing. Um, <laughs> but Monster Hunter is what is a fucking masterpiece of a franchise. I think uh, it started the whole, uh, no, not started. That's the wrong terminology. They really excelled at the whole storytelling with world building. Like, indirect just what you see is what you're informed of and like you just you get to pick up on all that and uh the ecology and stuff is just out of this world in terms of like fantasy creatures i don't think anybody does it better than monster hunter yeah monster hunter world is the only one i've played but it blew me away with its attention to detail and the bestiaries and making everything seem like pseudo realistic in a medieval apothecary style manner and i love that vibe i love anything along those lines it was i was all for it exactly and so rise the newest iteration i have much less to say on it because while it is faster and therefore arguably a bit more fun like world is still my jam because it has that depth it has that nature it has that ecology like i could just i spent like 40 minutes like i have i have a video on my teo talks channel it's called the appeal of monster hunter it's uh it was my, it's my first video essay. I'm very proud of it. Um, um, I, I spent a very long time just walking around looking at monsters behaving in this world. And you don't get that in Rise. The, so it's, it's a little bit less appealing to me in that front. I can see that. Uh, I actually watched your The Appeal of Monster Hunter video before the podcast this morning. So I am completely in the know on it. Um, oh, okay, totally. What'd you think? Did you have a good time with it? I did. It was good. There is this point in the video where you slow it down to show this footage of an Anjanoth jumping from like Plateau Rock to Plateau Rock, and I have never seen any creature do that in Monster Hunter ever. I didn't even know it was an interaction. It was awesome. I was like, that's a whole ass thing. That's a whole ass thing. I, I, dude, when I when I first saw that, I was literally freaking out. I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to swap topics to the to the music, I'm super down to talk about that. Um, I'm just I'm recording new songs, like as we speak, like it, like not at the moment, but like in the next couple of days and the past couple of days, we're just uh, working on two new ones, and it's they're I'm vibing to them. You're making two new songs, you mean? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, do I get to know anything about them? Like, uh, do you have any names in mind or lyrics? Uh, one of them is called "Carried Away," um, and the other one is called "Rip Off My Head." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Um. Uh, they're opposites. One of them is about being in a flow state and how that's like really good for you. And and uh, you know, like the the lyrics is I, I get carried away. I get pulled with the moon. So I go down with the stars and then I'm back again. And, um, and it's just about like, it's about how when you enter that flow state of consciousness, you just, you just sort of get swept up and you work on something. And then when it's done or when you have to stop, you sort of get back into the real life of things. And uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It, but but, but it's, it's important to stay, you know, a foot, a foot in reality, a foot in the stream kind of thing. Um, and then the other one is about anxiety, basically. You know, I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't deal with a lot of anxiety, but I know a lot of people who do. And um, um, 
it's kind of like a distilled conversation in a way of 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 what it feels like to have anxiety and go through a breakdown in your head no less less so like that i mean the beginning like the first sentence it's kind of like a quick summary of what it's like to like wake up and feel anxiety like another another title for the song could be sunlight and it's a reference to like that feeling of cold sunlight when you like go out into the sun and you know things are supposed to be chilling but you still don't feel good and it's like cold sun like it only feels bleak there's like no color to it yeah, it's a, it's a feeling that's associated with like shame or guilt, and uh, uh, it's a thing. And um, um, it's sort of it's sort of riffing on that idea. And and whereas where it's so so the concept of rip off my head, it's like in the song I go uh, rip off your head, rip off your head, and breathe out, I'll be fine. And it's about like change. Sometimes you have to like forcibly change your state of mind in a in a in it sometimes people need it gentle sometimes people need it not so gentle and whether or not either way happens is up to you it's on your own terms so it's sort of just a take it or leave it kind of instruction is the wrong word guide is also the wrong word it's more of just a feeling it's a conversation okay i mean yeah yeah, i guess i guess a lot of music you know you want your music to be defined as a feeling if it's good music. Right. Yeah, 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 totally, totally, totally. Um, yeah, it should, it should be out in February. Oh, okay, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, so where do you get your, uh, I mean, obviously you got your anxiety for Rip Off My, got your inspiration for Rip Off My Head from anxiety. <laughs> Is that, that backwards? And the other ones from getting carried away, which, you know, you started our conversation with talking about stream of consciousness and how it feels to get into something and then stick with that. So I imagine that's partly what carried away is about. But what other inspiration do you uh, feel for your music, I guess? You mentioned video games before. Definitely video games. Um, I think, like, on, on the subject of video games, like, they... Older video games, especially from like eight bit to like thirty two bit, and even even now, it's just it's harder to find now because it's it's not limited. Like you know, you've, you've have you heard the expression that like uh, uh, a writer or something is most creative when they're when you give them like a limitation or a restriction. Yeah, I have. It's it's kind of the same thing I felt with hardware limitations on consoles. I felt that not being able to explore texture with your music was a really good restriction to get creative with your melodies and i think that melodies give a lot of flavor in and of themselves and i think the texture while they also give flavor can make a song boring to the point where it like pisses me off like like i listen to so many movie soundtracks or video game soundtracks that are modern and I like I'm pulling my hair out because there's just nothing happening, or it's the same note just swelling in different textures. And it's like, dude, enough of this, please. Like I really like, you know, like Mega Man music, Pokemon music. There's so much harmony and melody going on that it's essential for me in my music writing. Like I can't not write a song with melody and harmony going on. Like. 
personally. So, and like, that's not to say that texture is bad. This is totally just subjective. You know what I mean? Like texture is 100% needed for songs. And for some things, the texture is totally made by it. Like some people just really like atmospheric texture music. Like it's no shade, <laughs> no shade. It's just not for me. Um, um, and so, yeah, that's video game music. And then also like when I was growing up, I, I listened, you know, I was born in Brazil. I listened to a lot of Brazilian music. I listened to a lot of the Beatles and Bob Marley uh and and you know my parents liked all three of those and so they were kind of on a rotation and uh and then like system of a down that's my favorite band of all time their harmonies are out it's of a good world. band yeah they're out of this world um i yeah i love them i love them you know i don't i don't agree with uh the drummer's politics and it's weird it's weird that you can be in a band called the prison song and then make a statement that says like Trump is the best friend to minorities, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, people do weird shit. That's <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, music, music is great. Music is a wonderful time. I, I get inspiration from everything. I try to. I mean, that's really good sources of inspiration. I would say. Um... When you talk about texture versus melody, uh, when you describe texture, is that like in video games, they're limited to the sound defense of what's portrayed in their video game, like the 16 and 32 bit limitations? Is that what you mean by texture? Well, uh, what I mean by texture is that there's like, you could change a lot of how a sound sounds by like changing the instrument or, or layering it or, or, or just by giving it, you know, by making a bunch of instruments play the same thing, you can give you can give a you can give a song a feeling, you can give a song a vibe. I I use layman's okay. terms to talk about music. <laughs> um, there's technical terms that I should be better at, but 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 uh, I definitely talk about music like the layman, and um, um, and so like 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 uh. uh I'm trying to I'm trying to just come up with like a really good example. Like you know, like you hear the Pokemon Center theme, and that's just all melody. It's 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 a it's a melody that personally I find that's grown obnoxious to me, but then it gets like nostalgic, and then it gets obnoxious again. It's like it's one of those like children's songs melodies. Um, um, or, and then compare that to something like uh, <laughs> Elden Ring. Compare that to like the Limgrave music, right? Like. It's just like this slightly edgy, windy string thing. And it's fine. I personally would fucking kill for FromSoft games to have full-on level music. What did you think of Lane Dull or the Altus Plateau with its uh, background? That is, that is actually sublime because it really conveys <laughs> the feeling of the sea and the flute does it for me. It like, does it for me too. I I love that backing track. <laughs> when you walk up to the dude just playing the flute and it like blends in with the background music. Same thing with the merchants. Like I almost wish that there were characters playing me. I wish I wish from South levels were a bit more populated and that you could like if they only want music that's coming from in world. Like imagine like a fantasy like New Orleans that's like like it's like a combination of New Orleans and like the undead burg. And there's just people playing music that you can like hear like across the city while you're doing your 
soul stuff. I just think that that would that would be my jam. I know that's not for everybody, and some people are hearing this right now and going like, "What the fuck?" But <laughs> but uh, but uh, even just for- a Souls game that's just quiet for most of itself, and then you get to a town and there's like uh like people just playing music and like dancing or just i don't know that'd be such a good way of establishing tone for a lived in location for a game that doesn't do it very often exactly dude i just think that there's a lot of potential there i think there's a lot of potential there and i know that's not what everybody wants but i feel like i feel like the next iterate like fromsoft is beginning more and more uh they're branching out Okay, yeah, exactly. They're branching out, and it's so interesting that they that that George R. R. Martin's additions to Elden Ring, like a lot of people attribute all of the character stuff to George R. R. Martin, and I look at Sekiro and I see the natural evolution between Sekiro and Elden Ring, and like how the characters influence the narrative so directly, and I just I go, this is like the step they would have taken anyway. You know what I mean? Like this is where they wanted to go. And getting George R. R. Martin helped them do that. It doesn't feel like it was like a forced collaboration. It felt very organic, for lack of a better word. I think so. Like, I think from <laughs> what I've read of interviews, George Martin was, he came in because they wanted someone like the Western vibe for writing. And also because he's a famous author and if they could get him, they wanted to. Like, he almost turned it down. I mean, like, it was just, like, a very, like, casual acceptance, at least, from how it sounded. But he worked on, like, uh, the demigods and all of them. So it definitely wasn't that he was working on the entire plot. He worked on, like, the base concept of what Elden Ring would be about. A war between demigods that fell into stagnation. Yes, yeah, he did the demigods, he did... I, I actually think he came up with some of, like... I think he actually came up with a lot of establishments, and I think he actually came up with quite a bit of powers. Um, um, he wrote the, like, 5,000-year lore, and I just think that... I, th- I feel like he had something to do with the fingers and and the cuckoos and stuff like that. Like, I feel like the... the Like, Raya Lucaria and all that magic stuff, I, that feels George R. R. Martin-y to me. That feels like factions within factions, and that just feels... <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. Um, I'd be curious if we could ever like figure out exactly what he wrote. Um, I know that oh, he defined so- the Elden Ring. Like before he came into the project, the Elden Ring was the nebulous power that does stuff, like the first flame did. But it was right. him that came up with the idea of making it a ring. And then if you go into other interviews, Miyazaki himself talks about the Elden Ring as a representation of like ideology and philosophy and stuff on the world i wish i had the actual quote um it's so cool that's again that master that mastery of metaphor dude yeah actually it's so good so good so 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 beyond me honestly (laughs) another thing that's really cool about fromsoft games that's very similar to my experience is uh learning stories that are not in your in, in in your first language like having to piece together via intent it's like that that's something that i have a lot of experience with you know just tra- traveling between two countries um was just learning i i both ideas and stories and just sort of having to like put them together in my own head in a way and like having to like do this weird translation not of words but of like intent 
you know what I mean? And it's just so cool that 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 someone has like Miyazaki has found a way to take that feeling and make it applicable to everyone who plays the game. You know what I mean? Like everybody you who mean plays like all- uh like going between countries and speaking to people that don't speak your native language and like yeah, trying not- to understand them is like more like reading the intent in their words rather than understanding every word and then it's that's it's sort feeling- of yeah. Okay. Exactly. Go- it works like that with conversation, but it also works like that for shows and movies and stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I just sort of had to pick stuff up and, and or read a book and, and sort of like, I know these words, but I don't know these words. So I have to sort of infer both via picture and, and um, just context. Right. So, so like context reading is basically what Miyazaki wants you to do as a player. Yeah, I was about like, to say. That's, uh... He wants... Like, that's why they don't tell you this whole story. That's why they don't give you all the information. The design of the game is to get you to think. I think mm-hmm. that that's fucking beautiful. You create a dynamic story for yourself by thinking about the context of what you're reading in the moment and what you find. It's incredible. I would agree with that. And I'm fairly certain that... I'm, I'm sure you probably know, which is probably why you brought it up but like i think miyazaki himself has said in interviews that partially the storytelling design he uses for FromSoft is based off of how he read foreign books like foreign english fantasy novels as a kid which obviously yeah. as a japanese man you know language barrier exactly exactly and so and that's exactly that is exactly why i brought it up because i i got this, <laughs> this anime that was huge in brazil it's called saint Seiya. it was called Cavaleiros do Zodiac, which means Knights of the Zodiac, and um, um, it, I got an encyclopedia that was written in Japanese, translated to Portuguese, and then I was like translating it myself using my limited reading Portuguese abilities. Right, so it's like the information that I got on these characters was skewed at best. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so- you're like a medieval scribe at that point. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, the kind of the exact sensation. I when you know, when you're getting together with all your friends, like that's what Twitter has felt like the past few months. Just everybody getting together and like going through scrolls and like being like, What does this mean? <laughs> yeah. As someone that vaguely understands Spanish from high school, I sometimes will read like I'm following like a couple of Spanish people on Twitter. And I read, like, movie descriptions. So, like, I sort of get where you're coming from. Right. No, I mean, if you're, if you're actively trying to understand something that is, that is, you know, not familiar to you, you, you kind of have a grasp on this, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible that the game design is just modeled that way to give you a narrative. And that there is so much narrative that they can pack into it. And that there's even an audience for that narrative. Isn't it? It's just like a I whole... mean, that tying ty- tying back into Monster Hunter, which also ties back into this, it's very much the work ethic that you put and want to see come out of your game are the fans that you're going to attract. You know what I mean? Like, everybody who I've met that's into these games outside of just on the surface level like i'm playing it because it's popular because the bosses are hard everybody who's into the world everybody who's into like the methodology of this game and monster hunter it's just 
there's a desire for quality. There's a desire for artistry and there's a desire for like compassion is what I've seen almost across the board. Like people who are really into Elden Ring care. You know what I mean? And I think that that's really cool. I think, I think, and I think that that's because the developers care and the people who are making it are artists. Like I mentioned a bunch of Jordan Peele movies earlier and I, I, I think Jordan Peele and FromSoft and you know James Cameron to an extent are like some of the only places that you can get like original worlds told to you, original ideas brought to you from like people who just like really want to see that kind of stuff happen. And I just I hope it becomes a trend again. Like yeah, like I, I really, really hope love... that they make an entire like inspiration from what they've done. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you bring up James Cameron. I don't like I've seen Terminator and Avatar, and I mean both of those are pretty fully realized and in-depth worlds. Like Avatar's got so much politics behind it that it just doesn't show that are like they justify things from what I've heard. Avatar Avatar's got a few things going on that are uh questionable, but at the same time. <laughs> Like I mean, it's it's like <laughs> I won't get into it, but 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 it's got what it's got going for it is like this really immersive, imaginative world that is new. Like like I heard, I, I, there's been a conversation going around about the 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 notability or the memor the the memorability of the characters' names from Avatar. It's like nobody remembers Jake Sully, and it's like, well, you guys, that's only one movie, like. Everybody remembers Luke Skywalker because it was a cultural hit, but then there's also been like nine Star Wars movies. Like, like I don't know. I don't know. In terms of like unique sci-fi, like Avatar in and of itself is fine. It's a lame story. Yeah, fantasy. Not fantasy, but sci-fi Pocahontas isn't the greatest. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, I heard, I've, yeah, I've heard it compared to Pocahontas, Dancing with Wolves. I, I haven't I haven't seen Dance of the Wolves and I haven't seen Pocahontas since I was like four. But, but like those, it's a, it's a, it's a really redundant story. James Cameron has hired another writer. So hopefully those problems are a bit alleviated. But the world is really cool. And for a dude who spent like most of his life or the most recent chunk of his life just obsessed with the ocean and going down to the bottom of the ocean, like I'm really excited to see what he has to say about a fantasy ocean, humans place within it, and the animals within it, because those are all huge focuses of the Avatar world. I think that those, like, tenets of storytelling are worth expanding upon. Personally. So uh, I'm going to need some context on this, like, fantasy ocean. I'm Is this about Avatar 2? Or... Oh, yeah. yeah. Because I don't know anything about it. I'm sorry. I, I haven't watched any of the trailers, but, like, if no. you would tell me. I, I'm I'm trying to go. I'm, I've seen the first trailer, but but from behind the scenes stuff, James Cameron notoriously loves the ocean, loves aliens, loves machines. <laughs> That's like kind of it. And and he spent a bunch of his life down at the Marianas Trench exploring the ocean. And like like he's like the only person who's like been that deep for that long. And and um, he th- years ago, like right after the first one came out, he's like, I'm gonna make three movies that depict the oceans of Pandora. (laughs) Really? What the fuck? Yes. And it's like, that's incredible. Let's see what you have to do. And so this is the first one that's going to be doing that. And there's like these really cool, like 
whale lizard things that are in the in the trailer and like it's it's just uh, again like i don't know if you know james cameron's movie the abyss but like the main actor in that movie after filming a scene punched james cameron in the face because he almost drowned and there's been some of that going on with avatar too because they're like free diving everybody in the movie had to take free diving lessons because so much of this movie was filmed underwater that's insane and that's like actual underwater underwater it's not like fake like it's gonna be so cool like even if it's a bad movie which i don't think it will be it'll be fucking fun to watch i heard that like at the current budget what it's cost like it'd have to have like some insane amount of people visit the box office for it to even cut a profit oh my god amuses me dude i mean yeah yeah i mean dude Profit-based everything has just... Like, that's the reason we don't see 2D animation anymore. You know what I mean? Like, 2D animation is my jam. I think it's one of the best expressions of human anything. And 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 just to see, like, you know, Atlantis and, like, Treasure Planet and that, like... Like, you know, they, they aren't the best movies, but they looked magnificent. They looked like, really cool. Larger than life, these crazy angles, these crazy serene landscapes and it just it's just to see that come to an abrupt stop for movies that look like jimmy neutron and shrek which don't get me wrong i have nostalgic attachment to jimmy neutron and shrek but to see those movies replace things like sleeping beauty or atlantis was just heart-wrenching and so i don't think i've ever gotten over that and so and like and so it's just like if I didn't hate capitalism for all the moral reasons, I hate capitalism because it ruined 2D animation. <laughs> <laughs> ruined healthcare too. And most yeah, other uh, yeah. things. <laughs> Education. <laughs> everything. Literally everything. everything. Everything it gets its greedy hands on. Greedy Not to get communist on everyone, but uh, no, the meek and the not. many and the flame of frenzy and may chaos take the world, yada yada yada. Chaos! Take the world! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a really good, like, I love that comparison to Jimmy Neutron. That cracks me up, but that's totally what a lot of newer animation looks like. All of the heads look fucky, the body proportions are weird, even if it's graphically better, it's it's not the same. And Treasure and Planet and Atlantis was such close, like, we came so close to having awesome action movies about mythological random bullshit made an animation that would have been so cool but the world just wasn't ready we have to wait 30 years until it gets revived or something the world wasn't fucking ready dude there is another timeline out there where there is like the golden age of animated movies that have that happened between like 2005 and 2017 that we just missed because we're a bunch of jackasses <laughs> yeah we got shrek's one through six instead <laughs> Oh my god. And dude, like, dude, I mean, honestly, like, I, I, I'll step up to bat right now. Shrek 3, fucking hysterical. Shrek 2 is great, too. Like, I don't want to diss these movies on just because they exist, but, like, ugh, 2D animation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any closing thoughts or shout-outs now that we get to the, the end of the episode? Uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to... Uh, Eyes on Fire art and Les Pools, both on Instagram. 
um, um, Eyes on Fire art spelled just like that in Les Pools is L-E-S-P-U-L-S. And they're the two artists that work with my band and they're incredible. Um, I just wanted, would love to give them a shout out. Yeah, well, listening to your music, I really liked the art that was associated with it. And I mean, I definitely liked the latest album the most. It's very nice. Thank you. Thank you. The, the, the instrumental one? Yeah. Um, I think I've heard the half of the instrumental one and then the one, like the version of it with the vocals. Oh, I'm, it's like something do Azul. What is it? Fora do Azul? Yeah, yeah. Fora do Azul it means out of the blue. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because it was it, <laughs> the reason you find that was just it was supposed to be a three song EP, and then COVID happened, and we couldn't play shows, and we're like, well, well let's just make an album, and it just sort of happened out of the blue. <laughs> That's a really good name. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah, it's also a little political, but I won't get into it. Well, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Yeah, it was a pleasure having you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we hope to see you again sometime. Well, this has been episode 8 of Elden Kings and Elden Ring Discussion. Thank you all for listening, and a special thank you to Teo for joining us at the Roundtable Hold. Uh, expect PvP discussion in the next episode about the latest Coliseum update and for just the general PvP scene as a whole. Joining us will be Orphicos and Honest Faraday from the Elden Ring PvP Discord to talk about their research into the game mechanics as well as the tournaments they host. Uh, if you liked what you heard of, of Mateus in the podcast and what you're hearing now, you should absolutely go give his music a listen. Foradu Azul by his newest band, Teo and the Cosmic Neighborhood, has been my favorite so far, but all four albums he's contributed to are linked below. And in other news, the Elden Ring zine has entered its pre-order phase as of December 5th, so make sure to go check them out on Twitter. The quality of the art of writing is incredible, and I for one can't wait to see what the finished product looks like. Finally, and what has gotten me the most hyped this week, is From Software's most recent announcement at the Video Game Awards. Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon has been announced to release in 2023, and that is very exciting news indeed. The last Armored Core was 5, and that was released 10 years ago, so I'm very excited for what we'll get to see. Uh, see you next time, this has been Gideon the Half-Knowing, and this has been Elden Kings. <laughs>